forgot to turn on my mic. So I mentioned uh, last Sunday that I uh, grew up in a church that had special missions meetings uh, every year. Uh, these were week-long affairs with a, uh, a message every single night. And some of the speakers, I mean, they were great. They you know, had captivating stories and humorous anecdotes and some uh, not so much. But, but one thing was consistent from year to year. We could always count on two particular passages from the Bible to be used at some point during the missions conference. And these two passages, I suppose, are the quintessential verses about being on mission. So naturally, we have to look at them as well. And it fits into where we're going next with uh, this series entitled Being on Mission. Last Sunday, I had said that I hoped that this series would alleviate some of the guilt uh, that many Christians feel when it comes to this whole area of missions and evangelism. Uh, but the focus then might have actually produced more guilt feeling uh, in, in some because we highlighted the fact that every single believer, every one of us, is called to be a missionary. I mean, John, uh, Jesus made that very clear in John 20, 21, when he says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. He, he's sending each and every one of us in the same manner that God the Father sent him. And we spent a little bit of time last Sunday uh, looking at that concept and what it means. But, of course, the bottom line is that you have been sent and you're on the clock. You are on mission. But that, of course, left us with a bunch of unanswered questions like, what does that look like? How does that work in real life? Uh, does that mean that all of us have to just add a whole bunch of more stuff now, this mission stuff, into our already uh, busy schedule? Or, or uh, worse, does it mean that uh, we're supposed to sell our houses and get rid of most of our earthly goods and pack up what clothes and other things we have left over and head off to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa? Is that what we're called to do? What does it practically mean to say that each and every one of us should be and are on mission? And, and exactly what is the mission then? Uh, those are the questions that we're going to begin, uh, not get through, just begin answering this morning. So grab your Bible and open up to the book of Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, um, and then find the first chapter of Acts because we're going to look at both of those verses. Matthew will be looking at the last three verses of the book, uh, Matthew 28, verses um, 18 through 20. And then in Acts, just one verse, Acts 1, 8. And before I read them, uh, I just want to establish right up front, just like last Sunday when we looked at the, the verses where Jesus said that he has sent us, uh, just like those apply to every single Christian, these verses are for every single Christian. They're for me, they're for you. So we want to just establish that fact up front as we read them. We'll start in Matthew chapter 28, those uh, three verses, then skip to Acts. Matthew 28, uh, 18 and on says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Father God, we thank you for these scriptures. We thank you for this time that we have to let you speak to us through your word. And God, that's what we ask this morning, that the spirit would would be free to work in our hearts and our minds, that the message you desire would, would uh, come across. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we obviously have quite a few questions covered, but I wanted to start with this idea of, of practically what does it mean to be sent, or as we saw in the Matthew verses, to go therefore. All of us are to go therefore. Uh, send and go. I mean, those are are two significant words, both describing the same thing. And so what does that mean for us? Are we being lazy or even disobedient if we're not heading off to the ends of the earth? I mean, how can we say that we're sent or that we are going if we never leave? You know, that was a huge part of my guilt feelings. I talked about the guilt, how I felt guilty last week. Uh, as missionaries came, every time they would speak and they gave messages on these verses and a, and a few others, and I realized I wasn't going anywhere. And therefore, I felt guilty and figured, well, I must be a rotten Christian. And, and here's my problem. I was looking at those verbs, go and send, as physical action words only. But the reality is they are primarily heart and attitude words. And let me explain what I mean by taking a look at an example of this from Scripture itself, actually from the book of Acts chapter 13. But, but before we uh, look at any of those verses, let me say, set the stage of what's happening here. The main hub of Christianity, in fact, the only hub of Christianity, began and was centered in Jerusalem. Even though uh, almost all the disciples were from Galilee, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem. Now, part of that was uh, by obeying a command that Jesus gave them that was recorded in Acts 1-4. Uh, this was just before he ascended up into heaven, and uh, he gathered them together, it says. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. The promise that he was talking about there, of course, was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Up until this point in history, I mean, all through the Old Testament period, people did not receive the Holy Spirit as a permanent indwelling presence uh, in their life simply because of their faith in God. But now that was going to change. And in Acts chapter 2, that, that chronicles that event for us. It tells us that on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, about 120 of them, were gathered together in one house. And they all heard this sound that was like a, a mighty rushing wind. And then suddenly what looked like flames of fire appeared over the top of everybody's head. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, the indwelling uh, uh, Spirit's presence would be the sign of any true conversion. If you are saved, you get the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He's yours. That's why Romans 8, 9 can say, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, right? If you are a Christian, you will have the Holy Spirit. He is there. It's the gift, that promise that Jesus uh, said that he was giving to his followers. And that's the promise that the disciples were waiting for there in Jerusalem. And uh, they did. They waited. And just as Jesus had promised, once the Holy Spirit came, uh, remember he promised in Acts 1-8 uh, that they would receive power. 
to be his witnesses. And lots and lots of people in and around Jerusalem ended up getting saved. So all the disciples decided to stay there in Jerusalem where the very first Christian church was started. And, and that church experienced a phenomenal spiritual and numerical growth uh, in those first years. Thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you can read all about that in the first seven chapters of Acts. But then something happened. A, a guy named Stephen was put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ the very first Christian martyr. And in Acts 1.8, we read, And on that day, the day that he was put to death, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, This was the only Christian church at that point, and a great persecution um, uh, started against the church. The apostles hung around to continue to evangelize in that great city, but also to pastor that ragtag church that was left over there. But most everybody else took off to escape the persecution. And verse 4 then says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And notice it wasn't the pastors, right? They all stayed in Jerusalem. It was the ordinary, everyday believers who spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what God had intended from the beginning, right? He wanted the good news to spread around the world, not stay cooped up there in Jerusalem. And it was his desire that it was spread by every single believer because he has sent all of us, not just by some specialist. So now we see, because of this persecution, uh, this gospel was going out of Judea, meaning out of Israel, or out of Jerusalem to Judea, uh, meaning all of Israel, and then Samaria, which was a land where some half-breed Jews were living. So it began to spread. But the persecution continued, and then we read in Acts eleven nineteen. so those who were scattered because of the persecution in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. See, now, okay, it's getting better. The word is spreading further and further. It's gone outside the confines of Israel into other lands, but there was a problem. All these Christians were only speaking to one type of people, people like them, other Jews. That is, until a few brave souls decided to branch out. In verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Ah, now that's more like it. Greeks in this context would refer to any non-Jewish person. They were uh, doing what Jesus wanted when he said, go to all nations. Um, by the way, that word nations, when you read that, don't think geographical uh, boundaries and, and political areas, because that's not really how the word's used in the Bible. It, it, it literally means peoples or people groups. So, so he's uh, getting them out to all peoples the way that God had intended. And you can tell that God honored this by the results in verse 21. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. In, in short order, the church in Antioch became the most influential church around. I mean, other than the mother church in Jerusalem where the apostles were still stationed as far as significance, but in terms of size and activity and, and, and uh, things that were going on, Antioch was it. 
they were the, the number one church of, of stuff happening. And, and Christianity had now broken out uh, of the geographical confines of Israel and out of the racial confines of being an exclusively Jewish uh, teaching. So now God knew that the church was ready for the next step in world missions. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 13. In that chap uh, chapter, in verse 1, it says, Now there were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius and Cyrene, and Menean, who was brought up in the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay? So these guys were pastoring the church. That's what prophets and teachers is referring to, pastoring the church there in Antioch. And that was a very eclectic, diverse group of men. It'd, it'd be interesting to spend some time looking at that, but that, that's not part of today's sermon, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Uh, a very diverse group of guys there. But continuing on with the story, verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, and you remember Saul is later took the name Paul, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, Obviously, here in Acts, we're just getting a summary statement, so he doesn't go on to describe that work. But obviously, the Holy Spirit would have told them exactly what he wanted. Otherwise, how would have they known what the specific work was he wanted them to be set aside for? We only find out what it is by following the story and seeing it exactly what happened. And so, verse 3, then, is the beginning of, of the unfolding of that new story. It says, Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Well, sent them away where? And to do what? Okay, again, this is what the Holy Spirit would have told them when he said, this is the work I want them set aside, but we get it as we read the story. And as you read the story, you find out that they were sent to carry the gospel, the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ to further and further outposts of civilization around the world. They were going to all nations, to make disciples, just as was commanded in, in Matthew chapter 28. And, and as we saw in Acts 1.8, they were heading to the remotest parts of the earth to be his witnesses. Now, maybe right now you're saying to yourself, well, hold on a minute. That sounds like these verbs, to send and, and to go, are physical action words. I mean, after all, Saul and Barnabas got up and went. They, they left where they were to head out to new places. And, and so uh, now, Pastor Mark, uh, you're starting to make me feel guilty again uh, because I'm not heading out to the wilds of Timbuktu. Ah, see, here's, here's the problem. We're missing part of the story. Every time I heard a missionary or a pastor speak on this verse on these verses the focus was always on Saul and Barnabas but what about everybody else in the church in Antioch they weren't sent out uh, the rest of those pastors they stayed there right what about Simeon and Lucius and and Manian? how come they were, were, were left at home while Paul and Barnabas were specifically told to go out. What about all the rest of the people in the pews? If, you know, they had pews back then, but you know what I mean. 
the one thing we established last Sunday was that Jesus, when he said that he was sending us as the Father sent him, that was for every Christian, not just some. And the verses we read this morning about going and making disciples of all nations and witnessing to the uttermost parts of the earth, the remotest part of the earth, that's for all Christians. So it included Simeon and Lucius and Manan and, and all those people in the pew at Antioch, and it includes me and you as well. They all stayed because God had only called a couple of them to head out into the unknown. But even the ones who stayed were still supposed to be on mission. See, they were to have the heart and the mindset of going. Who would they go to? Relatives, friends, neighbors, co-workers. I mean, they would go to the community where they lived. And you see, that's what I mean when I said that this sending and going is more about a heart and a mindset than a strictly physical action. Because you are sent and you are to go, therefore, right here. And, and maybe you're wondering, well, yeah, but then what about that command to go to the remotest parts of the earth? A am, am I saying that, you know, the rest of us, we can just disregard that? We can ignore it? Uh, we, we, we can just pretend that God didn't say that? Well, that's not it at all. Let me tell you something that you may not have thought about before. There are... 7,450,395,313 people in this world, give, give or take a few. Actually, I looked up the number last night, so or a couple nights ago, so it's, it's different now, but you know, close to that. To the vast majority of those 7.5 billion people, Hot Springs, South Dakota, is the remotest part of the earth. You don't have to go. You're already there. <laughs> Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> the Bible was written primarily in Israel, right? I, I can guarantee you, either back then, when these verses were first read by those early Christians, and up until today, if you're in Israel, hot springs is the remotest part of the earth. I mean, how remote is this? In 1989, when Rand McNally published their World Atlas, they left South Dakota out. Yeah, didn't have enough room for it, they said. So South Dakota, you know, hey, it's the remotest part of the world. The point is, I wouldn't worry too much about the remotest part of the earth. Now, that's not to say that God might not specially call some of you to physically go as he did Paul and Barnabas. And, and that might look like a short-term trip like many of you have done to Costa Rica or Steffi did to Italy. It might be a little bit longer like Daniel when he went to seven weeks in Germany or Isaiah nine months in, in, in New Zealand or Becca for a year in England and now uh, originally a year and now working on her second year. It might look like something like that. Or it might look... Uh, longer term. I mean, like Paul and Barnabas, you may feel that special call that God is directing you to go somewhere else specifically for the sake of the gospel. Short term, 
or long-term. I mean, possibly God is going to raise up someone here to go that long-term. And in which case, in those situations, as we saw in Acts chapter 13, then the rest of the church needs to be there for their support, for, for prayer, and for sending you off. I mean, there are still unreached people groups in this world, and someone has to go physically for them to have a chance to hear the gospel. And I often pray that God would raise up some people in our own congregation to do that kind of thing, to go to England or Germany or some unreached part of the world. But having said that, please understand that for the vast majority of us in this room this morning, I can tell you with a great amount of confidence that you are sent and you are called to go there for right here in Hot Springs. This is your mission field. And you know how I know that? There's two reasons. Number one, because you're here. I mean, that's pretty simple. This is where God has planted you. And mission always starts with where you are. I mean, we saw that even in Acts 1.8 when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Where does he start? Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Jerusalem and Judea, I mean, that would be and represent your hometown and, and the wider local culture, the place you already know and fit in. Your home area is the first place that Jesus wants you to be his witnesses. And the second reason that I know that the vast majority of you called, uh, are, are called to, for right here in Hot Springs is because that's the example we see in Scripture. I mean, we just looked at Acts chapter 13. This, this is the, really the only main passage of, of missionaries being sent out. And what we saw from that church was that two guys, two guys out of the whole church were sent. And everybody else stayed in Antioch. But those who stayed were still on mission right there in Antioch. I mean, we read how that those average everyday Christians were spreading the word to people they knew. That's what continued to happen. And people kept coming to faith and salvation in Jesus Christ because of their witness. And now, maybe you're saying, uh-oh, here comes that guilt again. Not to mention this fear. I mean, are you telling me I have to tell people about Jesus right here? I mean, that scares me to death. Well, if you think that I'm telling you, you you need to be like Billy Graham right here in Hot Springs, I can understand why you would have both guilt and fear. But that's not what I'm saying at all. And next week, we're going to begin looking at how this works out practically in our lives. And I think you're going to find it to be liberating. Liberating from guilt and fear and liberating to the possibility and the opportunity to be involved in the awesome kingdom work that Jesus Christ wants to do right here in Hot Springs. The work that he wants to do through you through me and through all of us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you as we continue to look at what you've called us to.
because he didn't just call us to get saved and go to heaven. Otherwise, he would have just transported us there right away. So we know that you have us here for a purpose. And God, let us, let us revel in that purpose and be strong in it. So help us to know it and to follow it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have one final song. And I do remind you, too, that prayer time is always available in the room to the side there if you want to pray about anything that God brought to your heart today. Okay, if everybody stand, please. So at the beginning here, this is group one. So we got to really, really sing out, okay? We're going to do a round. And this is group two. We're going to follow Joni, okay? So we're starting, and you guys come in and finish. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Have a great day. You guys, they cut out on me. <laughs>